In North Korea, the internet as we know it is almost non-existent. Only a few high-level officials are allowed access, and most universities are given a small number of strictly monitored computers. But for the majority of citizens, the only internet they know of is Kwang Mayong, a walled-off network that allows access to only domestic websites and emails. Thus, access to foreign media and outside information is limited and treasured. This information is often obtained through the grey market, distributed using USBs and SD cards. And as it stands, this technology could be the most effective weapon to bring down the authoritarian regime. In today's episode, we will be speaking with the Chief Strategy Officer of the Human Rights Foundation, which is responsible for Flash Drives for Freedom, a campaign that helps North Korean defectors smuggle USB drives and SD cards loaded with outside information into the Hermit region to weaken the dictatorship, Alex Gladstein. Alex explains how this all started a little over 10 years ago when DVDs, CDs and radio broadcasts trickled into the country and began to significantly change citizens' perspectives of the outside world. According to Alex, in interviews with numerous North Korean defectors, it was this foreign media that encouraged many of them to get out. From our interview with Alex, you will learn what information is put on these drives, how external information getting into the hands of its citizens is a threat to the North Korean regime, and what could happen if a North Korean citizen is caught with one of these drives. Additionally, you'll learn how the 2014 comedy film The Interview made an impact in North Korea, becoming one of the most sought-after pieces of foreign media. Now, if you like this episode, then you might like these previous episodes from the Brain Spike Back Library, The Most Dangerous Countries on the Internet, North Korea, Modern Warfare Technology with Ex-Military Sergeant Turned Tech CEO, and Self-Aware AI on the Battlefield, Should We Fear a Terminator Scenario? And if you really like this episode, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, as we'd love to hear what you think, and this really makes a difference to the show. Now, on with today's episode. Hi, my name's Sam Breakgear, and you're listening to Brain Spike Back, your podcast exploring the intersection between psychology and technology. My name is Alex Gladstein. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer of the Human Rights Foundation. We're a nonprofit that works to promote civil liberties and rights for people who live under authoritarian regimes around the world. There's about 4.3 billion people in more than 95 countries who live under different, you know, one, one type of authoritarianism or another. Of course, the most extreme example of political oppression is, is in North Korea. Uh, which is, you know, one of the world's last true totalitarian states. Since about 2009, the Human Rights Foundation has been working with people who've escaped from North Korea, and we've been helping them tell their stories to the world media, to philanthropists, to technologists, to different groups. Um, we've been trying to understand what they need and what they want. Of course, many of them are able to resettle uh, in, in South Korea. And from there, a lot of them decide to make organizations and, and try to help the people they left behind. So when we first got to know a lot of these groups, we realized that many of them were focused on one thing, and that was sending information back into North Korea. One of the ways that the regime there, the Kim dynasty, stays in power is by enforcing essentially, you know, an information black hole, like nothing gets, uh, you know, in or out is, is their goal, right? They want this sort of digital iron curtain around North Korea. And that was, that was something they were able to pretty effectively enforce for a long time uh, until technology started tearing it down, eroding it, and poking holes in it. So what we realized is that 
you know, starting a little more than 10 years ago, DVDs and other foreign media had already sort of seeped into North Korea, along with radio broadcasts, and, and had significantly started to change the North Korean people's perception of the outside world. Like, you know, anytime you see, for example, footage of a supermarket in South Korea, where there's like abundance and prosperity, I mean, it's kind of like a revolution in your mind, like your whole perspective on life can change, right? So when you actually interview people who've escaped North Korea, many, many of them, like a vast majority of them, credited or mentioned that they, they had seen some sort of outside media and that helped them make their decision to leave. So we, we understood from the beginning of our work with North Korean defectors and refugees how important information was. And, and at the end of the day, like we can save as many North Korean refugees as we can and we should, and it's noble work to rescue these people stuck in China. But if you don't address the root problem, they're going to continue to come. They're going to continue to flee, right? So what, how do we address the problem of the North Korean dictatorship, right? Well, we don't think it's going to be a military solution, which would be violent and kill a lot of people. It's certainly not going to be a diplomatic solution. The North Korean regime is very good at like negotiating to get what it wants. So it's got to be like an educational solution that's grassroots and directed at the people. And that's what we decided to do with Flash Tribes for Freedom. Started in 2016, this is an effort to collect Flash Tribes and goodwill and funding from around the world and get them in the hands of North Koreans who've escaped North Korea, who then send these things back to their, their families and people they left behind, filled with outside information, books, news, movies, K-pop, articles, documentaries about, about the outside world. To this point, in the last five years, we've sent approximately 100,000 flash drives into North Korea this way, packed with countless hours of, of media. Uh, the technology has changed dramatically in the time we've done this. Originally, it was like very USB-focused, Today, it's much more like SD card, smartphone, you know, HD or even SSD drives that are sent in, and then people like use them to like reproduce the media. Um, so things have gotten more advanced. T tablets are very popular now. So we've, we've definitely seen a technological shift from people focusing on sort of like DVD players, DVDs, and then, and then sort of USBs to uh, smartphones, tablets, SD cards, that sort of thing. But the, the effort continues. We continue to get donations of equipment. We continue to send them to South Korea where our partners research what's best. They literally do like focus groups with people who've escaped and figure out what, what content is best to be sending in right now. And then they load up the drives, send them in. Um, and we just continue to chip away at this, uh, at this uh, digital iron, iron curtain. Um, every, you know, every flash drive or SD card or movie that gets in there, you know, opens a a window to the outside world for someone who's been brainwashed their entire life, right? So I, I, we, we think this is, you know, continues to be one of our most important programs at the Human Rights Foundation. And, you know, we're happy to come on and talk about it. Yeah, I think the work you're doing is incredible. When I first came across this, I knew I had to reach out and have you folks on because especially for me personally, North Korea fascinates me in the sense that it, I can hardly fathom how like this still exists in our world. It sounds like something you would see in some like bizarre fiction movie or you'd hear about in some barbaric past. But yeah, it, it baffles me. And I have to say, you mentioned something there that kind of brings me flashbacks of a, a personal experience I had and something that I hadn't really thought about until now. So I'm British, but my granddad is Venezuelan. So I have family in Venezuela and um, mm -hmm. many of them left. And actually about four or five years ago, I went to the border of Colombia and Venezuela and Cucuta. And I went there to help deliver stuff for my family and uh, get one of my cousins out. 
And when we were there, my cousin, she like stopped outside this store and she was like staring at something shocked. And I thought she just really liked pineapples because there was a lot of pineapples outside the store. But she couldn't believe that the stores were full and like they had a lot like food on the shelves. And for me, that was a, a really like eye opening moment. So you mentioning that and talking about that really kind of brings back like the things we take for granted in our first world societies, or I suppose not even first world, but not being living in scarcity are sometimes huge motivational factors for those who don't have these things to to really yeah, take take it's, a risk it's the motivational factor right i mean yeah. no no one's really escaping north korea for like civil liberties or the right to vote or something like that i mean that would be quite rare mm. they're doing it because they're starving and mm. the system has failed them and they cannot get medical assistance and there's no way to get a good job and the government basically has stolen all the opportunities from the people They've mm. stolen all the ways to make money. They've stolen all, all the good farmland. They've stolen everything from the people. The, the Kim regime is, is completely evil and has just done enormous plunder and looting. And, and this really was exacerbated in the 1990s by two major factors, which have made things so much worse. Number one, the collapse of the Soviet Union, which while of course good for the world, uh, was bad for North Koreans because they their model, they're like, kind of isolated autarkic model had been highly subsidized by the Soviet Union. And once those packages of food and aid stopped coming, I mean, they started to starve. They didn't, they didn't know how to make their own stuff, right? And then you had massive famines that hit in the 90s as well. So you had millions and millions of people perish due to terrible government, cruel government policy. And that, that's what's given rise to the modern North Korean state, which again is, you know, as totalitarian as it gets. But the truth of the matter is they can't stop this erosion of their uh, brainwashing forever. You know, they, they're losing power gradually over time due to technology. I mean, if you think about the way that information had to be smuggled into these societies during the Cold War, it was like books and stuff, and you had to get like a crate of books. And then, you know, if you think about Václav Havel, and if you think about just sort of the parallel polis and the way that people in Eastern Europe had to like meet up in basements and trade books and things, and, you know, and, and, and share notes in the Soviet Union. I mean, now we can fit the entire contents of a library on something that's smaller than your thumb, you know? Mm -hmm. So like technology has been such a powerful force for freedom and knowledge. Uh, and it has definitely enlightened many, many people inside North Korea and many, many people have decided to leave um, many, many people have decided to split their family, some leave, and then some go to South Korea, make money and send their money back, you know, send remittances essentially back to their families. There's a lot of things that have happened. But in general, it, it's just a matter of time before the whole thing comes down. Such mm -hmm. an evil structure can't last forever. Yeah, so if right. you want to do something about it, like one day, it is going to, the wall's going to come down and, and the regime's going to fall and the prison camps, remember, we have these prison camps we can see from outer space where the regime keeps hundreds of thousands of people in gulags, they're going to be emptied. And these like human skeletons are going to come out and we're going to have video footage of this. And people are going to ask themselves, why didn't I do anything about this? Well, here's your chance to do something. You can make a difference today. You know, and I, th I just think that's very powerful. Yeah, definitely. And I'm so happy that technology is being used in such a positive way. Obviously on this podcast, a lot of the times uh, technology gets a bad reputation and it's great that it's being used in a way that's yeah so positive and that's how i found you guys actually because uh, i follow a subreddit 
called good news or positive news. I can't remember. I think it's good news. And um, sometimes I just need a break from the regular news. And I came across this and I, I knew I had to cover it and try and get the message out there as well. And now a lot of the following information that we're going to go into uh, can be found on your website, but I want to briefly go over it uh, before we get into some heavier questions to give our listeners a better understanding of how this works. So firstly, what goes on the drives? Now you mentioned there's like focus groups, like can you give examples of things that are, the focus groups have come up with or some of the, the major most common things that go onto these drives? Sure. I mean, you know, over the years, for example, I, I thought a notable and interesting case would be back in 2014 slash early 2015, there was a popular movie called The Interview with yeah. James Franco and Seth Rogen, which was actually attacked by the North Koreans. Uh, the Sony Pictures was attacked for releasing this film, which, which of course is a movie about two journalists who go to North Korea and end up sort of befriending, but then interviewing and realizing what a monster Kim Jong-un was. And, and it, through the course of the film, the regime actually collapses. And at the end of the movie, there's like democracy in North Korea. So needless to say, this is like not a film that the North Korean government wants people watching. And what was super interesting is that, um, look, a lot of the film was like a comedy. It was like, there were some silly parts, you know, as you'd expect, but there were some powerful parts. Like this, this scene where uh, they're interviewing Kim Jong-un is incomprehensible for North Korean. Like you can't interview God, like he's God. Like God mm. doesn't stand for an interview, right? Um, and just that scene and the scene at the end with the, you know, North Koreans voting or whatever. I mean, this is very, very powerful. So what I learned was that at the time, at least, they didn't send the whole film in. So sometimes what they do is they'll, they'll chop it up. So they actually had this thing that I saw where it was like some North Korean, you know, everything they send in is at least at that point was they tried to be smart about it. So like if you got caught with this DVD or USB stick at the time, when someone plugged it into their machine, it would show like some North Korean propaganda stuff, whatever. But if you kept going far enough into the film, it would, it would show you hidden this like 10 minute little nugget of, of the interview. And it would be like all the important scenes strung together. And this was very popular, very, very valuable, very in demand. So people were willing to pay 10 times the price of a normal, uh, sort of like media package for something that included the interview inside North Korea. It was, it was very, very in demand, um, which I thought was really interesting. But I mean, look, generally it's Korean stuff. I mean, a lot of times there's this trope, this myth that like, oh, we're like, this is some sort of Western imperialist thing. We're coming in with all of our culture. It's all nonsense. Like the overwhelming majority of what is sent in is Korean. It's done all by Koreans. So they send in Korean soap operas and Korean news and videos made by South and North Koreans. There's incredible content that goes in. I mean, I, I met a group of female army defectors, a group of people who were women who had escaped from their jobs in the military in North Korea. And they actually filmed, sat down and they filmed themselves testifying against specific individuals in the North Korean military who had raped them. And they filmed these interviews, they put them on the flash drives and they sent them in. And that way people would learn about it and it would cause like discontent, disruption in society. I thought that was amazing. So there's there's a lot of incredible things that these you know North Koreans have have produced to send back to the people they've left behind. And yes, every, every few months it gets refreshed as they get to sit down and talk to the people who are freshest arrivals. You know what's hot, what what's interesting, and and the content changes over time. Now that makes sense, and I can understand the idea of like trying to awaken uh, citizens to what life is like on the outside world. 
but I'd love to know, like, how does this make an impact? It's like, how is external information getting into the hands of citizens a threat to the North Korean regime? And what can this lead to? Like, how do you get from the point A of um, them having this information to the point B of the end goal of this regime falling? Well, I mean, I think anyone who's ever spoken to a North, a North Korean defector or refugee understands that this regime is evil and needs to end. Uh, I think the, the phrase regime change became highly politicized, of course, after the disastrous Iraq war, but regime changes happen constantly in the world. You know, we just had one in the United States, which was quite peaceful. The regime changed. And of course, it's funny because a lot of people who are left-wing Democrats, they wanted a regime change in the United States. And guess what? They got one. It's not a bad word. It's just been like needlessly politicized. Of course you want a regime change in North Korea. That would be, it'd be insane to not want a regime change in North Korea, given the testimonies that these people have given about the horrors that are inflicted upon them by this government. So yeah, we want a regime change in North Korea. Absolutely. And anyone who doesn't want one is completely immoral. Um, we want a government that respects the right of its rights of its people. We want a government that looks a lot more like South Korea than North Korea. Uh, we want a government that doesn't uh, put you in a prison camp for disagreeing with it, of course. So again, the question is how do you get there? And you know, it's not going to be through some like state-led top-down military or di diplomatic thing. It's just not. It's just, we've seen this movie before. Uh, it doesn't work very well. But the people can do it. I mean, really what we need to do is just like get out of their way. Like the North Korean people will make this happen. But they, they can't do it if, if, they, if they don't have the knowledge that everybody else has. And people talk about the access to the internet as a human right. Okay, we could debate that. But certainly, I would hope most people would agree that like it would be fair if everybody had access to the same information that everyone else does. And the North Koreans don't have that. They, don't, they can't just like walk into an internet cafe and learn about what's happening. They're completely cut off from the outside world. So this initiative helps them achieve a more similar amount of knowledge about the world as we do. I mean, clearly nowhere close, even the ones who escape, they have to go through a huge training sort of seminar when they get multi-week training seminar when they get to South Korea to learn about how to use things like escalators and bank accounts and traffic lights and plastic bags and all these things they don't have in North Korea. And it's tough life, man. I mean, they're second-class citizens. They're just ruthlessly discriminated against. It's a hyper-competitive society in South Korea. They're many years behind educationally. You know, the most important subject in class in North Korea is your study of the Kim regime, which is essentially like a religious study course, but it's like the one that really counts and math and science and all this other stuff is less important. So yeah, they're very behind and they end up being depressed and a lot of them commit suicide. It's, it's a sad, sad, tough life. Even when they get to freedom, it's not so easy. They, they say freedom's really hard is one of the big lessons they, they, they have. They really struggle with it. But even though it's hard, it's, what, it's certainly what they want. You know, they yeah. don't, again, they don't want to live in a society that's going to be you know, murdering them brutally if they, if they disagree. So, of course, we want a regime change. The question is, how do you do it? And you want to do it peacefully through education. And that's, that's what Flash Drives for Freedom aims to do. Let's hope that, obviously, with this information, they'll be able to trigger a, re a regime change. I suppose the only hurdle when they are awakened is fear, because obviously it seems like it's a, a very fierce kind of dictatorship that has zero tolerance for any kind of disobedience. So I would be interested to know, like, are those who receive these drives in danger? And what could happen if a North Korean citizen is caught with one of these drives? Yeah, so that's important to note. Evidence varies. Uh, there's certainly threats of extreme punishments. And we've seen certainly evidence 
of isolated cases where people are like sort of made an example of and sent to a prison camp or killed publicly for watching foreign content. But, you know, generally speaking, it seems that the vast majority of people kind of are able to keep their activities surreptitious or are able to bribe their way out of any trouble when they get caught. It is increasingly rare, according to, to experts, that, that like there would be public executions these days for this sort of thing. It's just too common. It is, it is, it is, a, it is a huge risk. But again, that's their choice, right? So what we're doing is we're, we're, we're giving them the option. Hey, mm-hmm. here's this thing you can learn about the outside world. They don't have to take it completely voluntary, right? Mm-hmm. But we believe they should have that choice, right? And so did, the, so did the dissidents in the Soviet Union in Mayakovsky Square when people were handing out you know, poems and things that were against the regime. Like, were those people dangerous for doing that? No, they were heroic for, for offering people the opportunity, right? So again, you gotta think about the North Koreans. What would they prefer? We leave them alone? or we try to reach out with a peaceful hand. You know, you decide. Mm. I also assume as well, the more common it becomes, the harder it'll be to punish in that sense, because they'll just, it'll just be more, more rampant. It'll be harder, I suppose. They'd have more cases of people having this information on their hands and it'll be harder to police probably. But I think that what you're doing is really great. And obviously that's why I wanted to have you on here. Now, if people want to get involved and help out, how, how can they do that? Yeah, well, you can go to flashdriveforfreedom.org and there you can find instructions on where to send drives if you want to donate some drives. We assure you that we can get them into North Korea, uh, where where people will will eagerly consume the contents. You can make donations to the program uh, if you're listening and you want to start a collection at a school or a community center. That'd be great. We're happy to give you some materials to help you get started. Uh, if you have a show or a media outlet you want to cover it, great. Get in touch. So lot, lots of ways people can get engaged. Fantastic. Well, I hope this podcast helps and I really do wish you the best of luck on this mission because I think it's a very worthy cause. It's very interesting and it's yeah, incredibly necessary, it seems. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, and I, you know, the whole team at the Human Rights Foundation and all of the people we support are we're very grateful. Growing a company has many hurdles from securing funding to expanding your business capabilities to ranking better on search. Each business challenge is uniquely complex. The solution to these challenges is growth-focused digital PR and marketing, and that is where our sponsor, Publicize, comes in. Publicize sets itself apart from traditional PR companies. It doesn't charge large retainers or turns out press releases whether you've got a newsworthy announcement or not. Publicize builds your business's online presence and gets high-quality PR and media coverage for startups and entrepreneurs who are priced out of a broken PR industry. And for a limited time only, exclusive to Brains Bite Back listeners, you can receive an SEO assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion. To find out more, visit publicize.co slash BBB. That's publicize.co slash BBB. This is the end of today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this and you want to hear more episodes just like it, then follow and subscribe to Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. We're also available on YouTube under the channel of our publication, The Sociable. Just search Brains Bite Back and you'll find all of our episodes there. We really love hearing what you have to say. 
So leave us a review on iTunes or on any other podcasting platform to let us know what you think. You can also reach out on Twitter at, at the sociable. And finally, go to sociable.co where you can find all our episodes and plenty of articles on topics just like this. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you.